I need you for a story. As the lifelong owner of Confess Fletch. Oh, nice. My beloved copy, which I have read uh, probably 10 or 15 times. I got to know Gregory McDonald a little bit, uh, probably the last few years of his life. He sent me a copy of The Education of Gregory McDonald, his collection of journalism from the Boston Globe. And uh, it was always amazing to me kind of how Fletch was very much like Greg, was very different from Greg. And yet at the same time, uh, he managed to uh, make this career out of creating these characters who were representative of him. But he, uh, it's interesting. He once told me a story about a lifelong friend of his who got mad at him during a tennis match. Uh, a guy he had known since he was 12 years old. They were uh, arguing, and the guy said, God damn it, Fletch, to Gregory McDonald. And Greg said, you really think I'm Fletch? And I thought that was a <laughs> fascinating uh, look into sort of why this guy wrote these characters and how he uh, got along with, with Fletch in real life and in fiction. And I sort of wondered... As you and John sort of got down to making Confess Fletch, this is certainly something that had been gestating for a very, 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 very long time. You know, how much did you guys begin to take Greg and his work personally and begin to understand that this is a guy who had seen his character translated to screen, obviously, in the 1980s, but not in a way that necessarily was representative of who the character was in literature? Well, um... I have to confess that when John came to me with the project, I hadn't read the Fletch books yet. Uh, I knew they were beloved and, and I do really like detective crime fiction. And I thought, why haven't I gotten to those? So I immediately went and read the first six or so. And I, you know, I loved everything about them. And, and I saw immediately how they were different from the first movies. Um, John had read the, whatever books were out at the time that the first movie came out, his story is that he stole them from a Walden bookstore. Right. Because uh, he was so broke. But anyway, to answer your question, I, I mean, I started to think about Fletch in the different books and you, the picture you get of the character over the course of several books. Um, and there were things about him that were a little elusive. He was, he felt um, hard to pin down at times. Um, and I wondered how much of that is, is, yeah, I mean, you know, there are consistent things. He's a smart ass. He's very bright. He's dogged. He has strangely doesn't get flustered by things. He kind of just keeps pushing through even when he's wrong, which was something that's a big part of Confess Fletch. I mean, he's wrong a couple of key times in, in the course of the story. And I retain that concept uh, in adapting it. Um, but I, I guess I think I, when I say elusive, I was, I was, I was, wondering to myself how much of this is Gregory McDonald or how much of it is kind of a extrapolated uh, fantasy by Gregory McDonald of, oh, if I could move through the world like this, um, what would it be like? Well, it's interesting, right? He's very much like Fletch. Greg wasn't as much as that when he was a columnist, he wouldn't let the paper run his picture in the paper because he didn't want anyone to see what he looked like because he wanted to move elusively through the world. Uh, and not be more famous than the people he was writing about. Yeah, which is which is very interesting, especially in a culture that um, people want credit for what they do all the time. <laughs> it would seem. Um, it's like one of the things, one of the keys, one, an interview with him, 
he was thinking about when he was writing Confess Fletch, he set up a problem because at the end of the first Fletch book, he had absconded with millions of dollars from Alan Stanwyck. And he thought, well, what am I going to do with this guy if he's, if he's rich and he doesn't have to work? Um, <laughs> what, what's going to motivate him to kind of get, get back into the game of, of poking around, trying to you know, solve things, get to the bottom of things. And, and I think Fletch has his own weird um, ethic. He wants to see justice done. He just doesn't have any faith in the institutions like the police or the judicial system. Um, so he goes around them all uh, to try and get to the answers. And I thought, and Gary McDonald said, he thought, well, I think Fletch doesn't care about money. He can walk away from it as easily as he can steal it. Right. Um, he's, it's not what drives him. Um, and I thought that's such an interesting character. Um, you know, what he cares about and what he doesn't care about is, is fascinating. And it really, I found like, you know, I respected Fletch, the fictional Fletch, um, even when he's, you know, not so uh, legal in his actions. Um, I respected that he really um, wanted, like I said, to do the right thing or see the right thing get done, uh, punched up, you know, really the people he really fucked with were usually rich jerks or power hungry people who deserved it. Right. And he liked out, outcasts and weirdos, um, which is another thing I embraced in this movie, um, which, you know, the original Chevy Chase Fletch, and it makes perfect sense because Chevy's such a great comic. Everyone else is basically a straight man to him. He's like Groucho Marx tearing through the story, you know, confusing he's like Groucho and Harp. He's like, he's all the Marx brothers in one. Yeah, yeah. And it, and it was brilliant and great. But in the books, you see that Fletch has different kinds of interactions with different people. And, um, and I had to think that Gregory McDonald was very interested in, in, in people and humans and, and very troubled by the injustices in our society. Cause all the books have a, you know, some kind of social satire aspect. You know, it's interesting. Michael Ritchie told Gregory McDonald, you're never going to like the movies that are made out of your books. And he took that to heart. And he knew from the get go that these books were never going to be representative of the kinds of things that he wrote. But it, it really does amaze me how much Confess Fletch hews to the book, the themes, the, the characters, every sort of, a lot of the beats in a lot of ways. Obviously, uh, Roy Wood is not playing Flynn because if I'm not mistaken, Flynn has different character rights that were sold separately than Fletch, right? Yeah. Have Flynn in the book. In yeah. The I mean, I think maybe if Miramax who was financing this was willing to pay a lot more money, they maybe could have, but there was, you know, they felt like it was, for whatever reason, the Fletch curse um, scared them off from paying, spending too much money. And, you know, um, yeah, so it was a shame. Although when we made the decision, we didn't really have the money to make it a, a period piece. And it also, I felt like some of the social um, satire that was in the book was very biting and funny and interesting for the time it was written, but wouldn't necessarily translate now. Right. Um, not, not that I, I mean, I would have loved to have made a, a period piece version in an updated version. It would have been hard to make Flynn make any sense in the 2020s. 
there is that. backstory and yeah. Well, plus the fact is you and John basically helped finance the making of this film so much because you guys wanted to make this so much. I mean, John obviously put a significant amount of money in to the making of it. It's something he'd been wanting to do for a long time. I know you did as well. Um, I'm always fascinated by when guys, I mean, this is obviously for years, whether it was, you know, any number of filmmakers and any number of actors have been attached to this over the years. Gregory McDonald certainly never held out hope that there would be another movie based on the book, given that obviously Fletch lives inexplicably was not based on a Fletch book. But it's interesting to me how much this was a passion project for John. And it seems to me that in a lot of ways, it became very infectious for you in terms of how much he loved it and then how much you took to it and made it something of your own as well in terms of putting your own money into it and putting your certainly taking over the writing of the film. Um, I expect that that's something you did not necessarily expect to do at the beginning of this. No, and and it was interesting because the original writer he was involved before I was, and he's a very talented, great writer. And there's many funny things in the script that he wrote, but his first draft really felt like a draft for Chevy. And he was very heavily influenced by the first Fletch movie. And I understand that, but John and I had, said we want to capture the tone of the book as best we can and and John didn't want to do a Chevy impersonation so um, when I took over the script I kind of threw away the whole plot that was not that close to the book and, and went back to the book and started all over again and I really was yeah I was very enamored with the book um, and I had the other books floating around in my head too it's um, it's a fascinating character, and I kept asking myself, why now? Why would this character mean something now? Because in the, you know, in the '70s, it was kind of a someone who was that irreverent and and distrustful of authority, um, was a kind of zeitgeisty type. Sure, um, Elliot Gould would have played him if you had made these movies in the '70s. Exactly, I was thinking of you know, and I rewatched Elliot Gould playing Philip Marlowe in The Long Goodbye, and that pissed off people, but. I love that movie and it's uh, one of my favorites. Yeah. And it's a great update of that character. What's interesting is that between uh, Humphrey Bogart playing Philip Marlowe in the big sleep and Elliot Gould in the long goodbye is only 27 years. And it's been 37 years since the first Fletch. And we live in a culture that won't let anything go, you know, post jaws. Uh, but it's, you know, we, we thought we're not going to do a nostalgia thing. We're not going to use the music from the original. Um, a nostalgia thing might be more commercial, but it just didn't seem that interesting to us. Right. Uh, so, so where am I going? My rambling. Um, what was your about question? how much how you became enamored <laughs> of it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I, I got I I did. I mean, I always did love detective stories um, and detective movies, um, and so I like that aspect of it. But I really got I really got into this character. And I thought, how does he fit in now? And I thought. We live in a world where so many problems exist and no one can solve them. We're just so entrenched in, you know, bipartisan politics. I won't say which side I think is more intolerant and unreasonable, but I'll just say for a lot of us, we look at the world and think nothing can get done. And and I think Fletch is kind of a, a fantasy of a guy who gets things done. Um, and uh, most of us like to think, we wouldn't break the laws quite as easily as he does. But when he does, I, I mean, there's certainly a part of me that thinks like, yeah, I would, I, I, I'm okay with that. 
he can, you know, he's, he's trying to, he's trying to, you know, fulfill, find these paintings for this guy um, and his daughter. And he's trying to uh, solve a murder he's been accused of. And he goes about it in his incredibly nonchalant manner. Um, but he doesn't ever give up. And, uh, and he's not afraid to just keep poking his nose where it doesn't belong. Right. Um, and I think these are, you know, qualities, I think, yeah, it's aspirational to like, think you can actually solve something in this and the, and the, the correct person would go to jail. Um, you know, it's interesting to me in going back and watching the film though, you know, Chevy's name has come up a few times here. And certainly when I was in high school, I had the Chevy chase, the Fletch poster. I've seen the movie a hundred times. I've seen the trailer recut for Confess Fledge where somebody's gone in and put the Harold Faltermeyer music in. And <laughs> I, it, yeah. I assume you've seen it? I haven't seen it. I have to I do have to watch I want to watch it. Yeah, I, I I'll probably watch it and think, yeah, maybe we should have used the music. It it doesn't not work, I'll say that. <laughs> but it's interesting, right? Because there are the moments in the in the Chevy Chase film where he's not doing the the the, the characters, he's not wearing the false teeth, he's not wearing the robes and the wig and you and there are these weird moments where you're like, I can see where there are some of Gregory's Fletch in that. And you sort of wonder, you sort of do in those smaller, quieter moments, see it as a companion to confess Fletch, which is interesting to me because, you know, I'd never expected to see them of a pair, given the fact that Chevy had played it so broadly in so many places. Yet there are the moments with Frank in the newsroom. There are the moments with Gina Davis. There are some moments where he's, you know, with Mrs. I, Stanwyck. Yeah, I love the scene um, when he's confronted by the lawyer who's trying to collect alimony from yeah. him. That's a, a, that's a really poignant scene, and Chevy plays it very straight, and you feel for the guy. You feel like, you know, he's got this past with ex-wives, and, and you know, there's a price to pay for the way he lives his life and the way he can conducts his report investigative journalism um yeah there are there are things in it that i think i completely agree where chevy is is the guy in a great subtler way did you see them of a piece did you see fletch and confess that certainly they're not it's the same character same book same in the same order in which gregory had written them um but obviously there are you know there are memories of Fletch that one has that are the one-liners that are not necessarily the things that Greg wrote or the character that he created. And I sort of wondered, as John and you talked about this character for which he was incredibly passionate um, and not wanting to make something that was nostalgic and not wanting to make something that was an homage to something that had been played long ago by a guy. I sort of wonder, how do you find that? Do you find a connection or do you eschew the connection in order to create this, this own separate individual thing. Well, I, I thought, I mean, I lost a lot of sleep over the very question you're asking because, because I didn't, I, because I do really love the original Fletch movie, um, particularly the first one. And um, because it, because of the connections, to, you know, the things, that when I finally read the book, I thought, oh, yeah, they took that and used it. And it's great. And Chevy really nailed it. Um, so, you know, we didn't want to lose the irreverence. We, knowing it's a movie and that got to keep people's attention, we filled it with more jokes than, you know, the scenes necessary were in the 
original. So it's it's jokier than the novel, but I feel like anyone sort of translating it would probably end up there because the novels are laugh out loud funny. Um, it's just a different experience, obviously, right. reading a book. Um, and, you know, there were times where John would do a line and, and I would hear Chevy's line reading in my head. I would say, I would imagine this is how Chevy would have done that line. And, and I would, I would sometimes say, try it again, drier, um, or, you know, throw it away more or, you know, be more of a dick. <laughs> um, and uh in other times i'd say no no we're not we're not making that version and and uh i shouldn't i should be careful not to try and push john to replicate chevy but it was it was hard for the it not to seep in at all yeah and and on top of that um you know we snuck in a couple of we consider them tributes to the original film um obviously the lakers uh hat that john wears for the movie it's something that came from the Fletch film that's not in the book. Right. The love of the Lakers. Um, there's one pretty stupid joke that I had in there, but we had to take out for money reasons, which is uh, when when Fletch is sneaking around the garden party at the Yacht Club, um, the clam bake, uh, the band at one point is playing Moon River, which ultimately Miramax said we can't afford it, so I had to take it out. But for those who remember the use of the song Moon River in the movie, it's involves a um, medical exam. I'll leave it at that. Right. Um, and Emmett uh, Walsh, uh, doctor's visit. Yes, yeah. Uh, and Emmett uh, Walsh was great in the movie. Um, and then there's one line at the very end, I don't know if you caught it, but uh, Kyle McLaughlin says something that is almost a direct um, copy. It gives a little too much away if I say what it is, but he says something right. that's a line from the original movie, right. um, which was John's idea. John wanted that because he oh, said, really? I, "I just want." Yeah, he said, "I just want something in here that's that, that you know um, is in there for the people who love the first movie." And some and people have noticed it. You know, real right. much movie lovers. But no. yeah, we didn't want to steal. We didn't want to steal. Um, him having funny, funny names and stuff like that. Sure, you don't want to do that. You don't want to reference the Underhills. You don't want to do sort of these really, um, you know. I, I probably would have referenced the Underhills, but in the novel, they're called the Underwoods. Right. And uh, there was an Underhills line, and, and Miramax lawyer said, you can't use it because that's from the movie. So... So I, I I don't have that much self control, Robert. Is what we're is what we're saying. <laughs> well, it's fascinating to me, right? Because you know you sit there and watch this, and it is fascinating to me. I it is, you know, we sit here talking about the long goodbye. This is, I think, the reason I love the movie so much is that it is reminiscent of the book that would have been written in 1976, right? This is very much a a movie that feels like a book that was written in the 1970s. This is something that captures the vibe of what Gregory was looking for, the character that he was looking for. Um, you know, it's it's funny having gone back and reread the book a couple of weeks before I saw the film, and even just looking at it in these yellowed pages from this copy <laughs> that I've had for you know forty years. It is really interesting to me to to sort of feel like I'm this movie is of that particular moment, though it might have been made just recently. 
And I sort of wonder, and I, I begin to be sort of really get excited about, well, what's Fletch's fortune going to look like? What are these rest of these books? And I certainly hope that, that you guys get to make them. And it has been an interesting rollout, right? Because, you know, we're obviously talking it. You know, Bill Block set this up. We've got the auction upcoming uh, here. Uh, Bill helped get this film made, get this film distributed. Bill was, sort of, yeah, what? Bill, Bill, this wouldn't exist without Bill. He really stuck by it at times when I think people are telling him to let it go, that it's that the Fletch curse cannot be overcome. Right. I mean, it, it just seems like it's just so many, it, it's a confluence of so many things that, that led to it getting made, um, how it's being distributed, how it's getting released. Obviously, I think the the auction here launches the same time that the film premieres on Showtime. Uh, so that's certainly very, very beneficial for uh, for all of us because I'm eager to make sure that more people see the film. I still can't believe that friends of mine who loved Fletcher, who loved the books, haven't seen the film or haven't heard of the film because it's not playing in a theater near their house, but they can watch it on their television now and, and going forward. You know, I, you've not had an experience like this in terms of getting a film into people's uh, hands, as it were, right? Um. No, I mean, the movie business is theatrical has changed so radically. I think, yeah. I think this was kind of uh, an experiment um, for Paramount, and you know, this was released by their—I forget what they call—it's like their home video dis division, essentially. The the theatrical release is kind of just a a, a marketing bonus, <laughs> but it's you know. It, it, ain't, it ain't what it used to be. Um, right. And so, you know, it's, it is a strange position to be in. Um, I am very grateful that at least in the world of social media and, and, you know, some critics, the film is liked and has actually become sort of a talking point about what is, you know, does the medium small movie have a chance anymore? Um, especially comedies. I mean, certain genres like horror seem to be sure. still raking in a lot of money, but this is, you know, intentionally was directed at an older audience. It wasn't, we, you know, we could have put in uh, more humor that more scatological jokes. And I, right. I certainly am guilty as that as anybody, um, but we just didn't want to, we didn't think that was the book. We didn't think that was the tone of the, you know, there's the books have sex. They're not asexual, but um no, we actually had sex with Marcia Gay Harden's character in the book. I know, I know. We had a long discussion about that, uh, about whether or not that should happen, um, because it's a slightly uh, pruder time than it was when the book was written. Uh, is that the correct word? Um, and so, yeah. Um, so it's a weird, it's it, it's a weird way to be trying to get the word out, but um, you know, we thought it would probably go straight to streaming or. A cable channel anyway so these are a few little launching points before that happens and uh, i hope it's enough i hope you know there are enough good reviews enough good word of mouth that people see it and it makes them want to finance fletch's fortune you're writing that correct or you've been at least bill has hired you to write that yes so i've started to, started to take a lot of notes is there any better time to release a movie set at a journalism conference than right now? Well, that's why I thought that, yeah, that book has to be, it's, yeah, we, we live in the moment where um, I'm, I'm going to try and interview as many journalists as I can so I can, I can, you know, learn what I don't know. But um, 
it's it's kind of a really fun prospect to write about that. Well, I will say that Fletch uh, was one of the reasons that I became a journalist. It's weird. The books, not the movie. Um, when I became a journalist, uh, certainly uh, the Fletch books and poster followed me around for way too long in my life. I actually have a po picture of me in my journalism year, uh, my journalism uh, room in high school with the Fletch poster behind me. Um, so it's certainly been a big part of my life for a very long time. I never would have imagined an auction of items from Confess Fletch would be the thing that brings me to talking to a filmmaker finally about making another <laughs> Fletch film. But such is uh, the uh, modern film business in which we find ourselves, right? Yeah. Strange, strange path we all take. It is. It's very, very circuitous, but it brought us here nevertheless. Look, I know you have other things to do. I know you're in the middle of shooting a pilot. Um, I, I have a million questions about Fletch, not to mention the rest of your career. But the fact is, um, it's a hell of a movie, and I'm glad to see the people. Oh, thank you, actually, Robert. I'm, I'm glad to see people are recognizing it. Certainly, I've. It's funny. You you see that Daily Beast piece. You see the Rolling Stone story. You see uh, the reviews it's getting, and you realize that in a couple of years, uh, everybody who doesn't know about Confess Fletch will have seen it a couple of times by then. It's uh, it Let's does hope. seem to be one of those movies <laughs> that will live long, long after it's a. Uh, after we sit here talking about it. That would be nice. I mean, I guess sleepers do exist in their own way still. Um, you know, my goal is always to make a movie that uh, the people who are going to appreciate it the most, um, I, I make it for them. I don't, you know, I know that the style of this movie is going to lose some people and there's some people who won't accept anyone besides Chevy in that role, and that's fine. But those movies exist. They can watch those anytime they want. And uh, it's nice that some people who went in thinking, I don't know if I'm going to be able to like a movie without Chevy in this role, found that they liked it. So that's, that's pleasing. Well, what they're getting is just Chevy without the gags. You're going the, the, the wig, the, um, you know, the yeah. stick. you're getting, you're getting John doing Fletch when Chevy did Fletch. It's very much like when John does Fletch. Yeah. John's a funny guy. John's a very funny guy. It's nice <laughs> yeah. to actually see John get a movie that he does, you know, that is as good as he is. Yeah. Which Thanks is probably why he was drawn to Fletch to begin with, because he saw in Fletch the career that he, uh, he could and should have. Yeah, I definitely thought this is something John will be great at. And people, I know him well enough to know that not everyone realizes how good he'd be in this. Well, it's funny, right? Because everybody else who had been approached or have been circling it for the last 30 years is somebody who was just going to do a Chevy impression. Yeah. And John decided not to do that. And obviously, you guys chose wisely. So, hey, man, I really appreciate Thanks, it. Robert. Thanks. Me too. It was a pleasure. Um, it's great to talk to somebody who knows the book so well. Uh, I, I'm, I'm really enjoying rereading Fletch's Fortune. It just puts me in a great mood. So, Fletch's, Fletch's, Fletch's Fortune is my favorite of the books. Is it? It's, it's, it's so terrific. I mean, it's, it's really I, 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 I it's funny, all these years I've been waiting for Confess Fletch, and now I hope I don't have to wait a couple of years for Fletch's fortune. Like, <laughs> I'm really eager. Like, I was hoping you guys would have shot them at the same time, just to be like, all right, we're ready to go. I, I wish, yeah. If you need money, uh, let me know. I'll, I'll, <laughs> okay. I've got a few. I've got I, a may, I may hire you as a consultant, <laughs> since you know the book so well. i got to tell you, these are... Um, 
Gregory McDonald is one of my all-time favorite writers. Um, not just the Fletch books. His journalism was incredibly important to me. Um, he's an underrated journalist, um, undervalued journalist. So the guy knew what he was talking about. Um, you know, a great advocate for civil rights, for women's yeah. rights. Um, I mean, just a, an incredibly powerful columnist and writer. Um, the Fletch books are certainly the best known thing that he's done. So uh, it's nice to meet somebody who took the care that he deserved. So. Um, that's the that's a very kind thing for you to say. I, I really that was important to me. So I hope it's it's felt in the movie. Well, I told you this on email. You've directed some of my favorite things uh, for some of my favorite undeclared episodes, and you know certainly the Day Trippers and Super Bad, uh, which is another film that holds up every uh, six months that I choose to watch it. <laughs> so uh, bless you, Robert. You're a, you're a good man, sir. So it's uh, it's it's. I'm glad that I had the opportunity to chat with you. Uh, the pleasure is mine. Thank you, sir.